The Harden trade's been a disaster. Zion wants to leave New Orleans. Let's get into foul trouble. So we're remote again today because, Patrick, you are the Indiana Pacers of people, allowing the most inside <laughs> points. You have the worst interior defense in the league. You're sick again. I know. I'm like a like little Victorian-era boy that like came in contact with something from the future. I, I now have COVID. I thought it's just been a complete comedy of errors these last couple of weeks. Um, I'm doing okay, but whoa, leading off the show with saying Zion wants to get out of New Orleans. Hot takes, my brother. How are you doing? I'm good. I, I'm pretty cold. You know, I'm kind of embarrassing. Like, I'm a Californian, and when it gets to this time of year, I start wearing gloves. I... <laughs> In my own house because I just get so my fingers always get so cold even if I'm like wearing shorts like my fingers get unbearably cold it's so Dude, you got to keep those much. Twitter fingers warm in case you got to rip <laughs> off a tweet um okay which one of these absolute disaster class five loss it streak teams do you want to talk about first I, you know, actually, Patrick, I, I don't know if you felt the same way after diving deep into the the waters of Clipperville and uh, New Orleans. I actually think one of these teams is a much bigger disaster than the other one. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I agree. I, I I'm not gonna say that I don't think these teams are like salvageable, but um, I don't know which which one do you think is more of a disaster? I'm gonna guess Clippers. Yeah, I think the Clippers are are are. I think the Pelicans. A lot of what I saw is like fixable. I think the the Clippers. A lot of what I saw is systematic. Yeah, you know, well, they have the system now. They've got systematic problems. <laughs> the Pelicans are all also absolutely ravaged by injuries right now. But uh, we're burying the lead. Okay, Clippers. We Let's both go into the did Clippers. a little bit of a deep dive into what is going on in the big four James Harden era. They have lost every single game that they've played together so far. What did you see, James? Uh, you know, I just want to start out with this stat because I thought it was really fun. Um, so Harden has 10 All-Stars. Westbrook had nine. Kawhi only has five All-Star appearances. little fun stat. Um, I know. That strange. But I think what really like stands out to the Clippers is this team does not have connective passing Westbrook and Harden are not connective passers they're lead you know ball handlers they like to finish possessions you know with like a kick out pass or the pick and roll pass to the big man these are not really swing the ball guys now Harden and Westbrook can both do that it's just not really their kind of DNA I think also bringing in Harden has kind of led George and Kawhi to turn into like oh my god I have the basketball I'm gonna take a two dribble mid-range pull up it's a lot of things that I really don't like to see with aging superstars where all of a sudden it's a lot of like contested mid-range with like 15 seconds on the shot clock is kind of like the defining shot of the Clippers offense right now yes absolutely yeah they the fit on both sides of the ball are just so awful I'm sure you've seen did you look into their three-man lineup data yeah, I did. I, the, I mean, a lot of the ones with Harden, you know, there's not enough possessions yet, but I did look at a lot of their lineup data. Well, what really stood out to me, and I, I think the eye test really matched it, is 
of all, every single three-man lineup with Harden in it right now is like a super negative. But the worst one of all is the Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Avica Zubac lineup. And I, I think it really, really shows right now. Zubac is... Well, before we get into the nitty-gritty, though, Patrick, all four of them, when they're on the court together, when the four stars are on the court together, this team has an offensive rating of 98, worse than the NBA, a defensive rating of 119, which is probably like 28, 29 range, where it's like, it's really, really bad, but at least it's not just like historically bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's awful. Their their starting lineup is the worst starting lineup in the NBA. It's a negative ten point three net rating. Like there's just nothing great. And the last five games, I think what really like encapsulates like a lot of what you've said is they're last in the league in assists per game. And like with such talented on ball players, you would hope that it wasn't wasn't that bad. And I think. Going into this trade, I was a lot higher on it than you because, first of all, I thought that they were going to, and they've started to do this in the last couple of games, but I thought they were going to be staggering Westbrook and Harden a lot more because, like, I mean, off ball, they are just two, like, complete non-factors on defense as well as on offense, and, but... Now, what I didn't really expect is, like, just one of them being on the court with each other. Like, it even takes away all of the, like, the pick and roll juice that each one of them has, like, on the court. It's just, like, so ugly. And you've you talked about, like, there's just, like, there's no, there's no easy shots. One thing that I was really surprised at is, can you guess how many, like, we're talking about passing. We're talking about just like getting easy shots in the offense. Can you guess in the four games that Harden has played it, with this starting lineup, how many unassisted threes they've made in within that starting lineup? Anybody? Unassisted threes per game or total? Total. Dude, I'm going to guess this team probably has like 22 unassisted threes over these four games. So I'm. Let me just say I'm only talking about the the lineup with Russ, PG, Harden, Kawhi, and Zubac. In that lineup, they have zero unassisted threes. The the spacing is just so. Wait like, wait wait wait. Unassisted threes. Unassisted threes. They have zero. Like even their pull up game, even the their ISO game is crumbling under the weight of these four superstars. Yeah, I think, like, there's so many different directions to take this. <sighs> All right. I, I guess, like, the big thing that really stuck out to me more than anything is you have these four guys, right? You have the point guard, the shooting guard, the small forward, the power forward. The problem is, is with all of these NBA offenses – the center is always the other player involved in the action, right? If we're running a pick and roll with Harden, it's Harden Zubach. Even when Kawhi gets the ball and they run pick and roll, it's Kawhi Zubach. So even though you have four star players, the player who's the most involved in every single possession for this team is Zubach. And I think what I've learned a lot about Zubach here is like 
Harden still really has that pocket pass on lock. Like when they're running that pick and roll, Harden is really good at the pocket pass. For those of you who don't know, it's that little pass where you kind of thread it between the two defenders as you start going downhill and the big has started his role, but he's not quite there yet. But Zubac is not a good passer out of that out of that he's not a facilitator hub and the problem with this is teams are learning to like hey let's just like hedge up on Harden and give him the pocket pass because Zubac is not really a threatening downhill roller he's not going to threaten us with his passing and he's not going to take that mid-range you know floater shot and it really sticks out that it's like you have these four stars but because none of them are the actual big man on the court and I know effectively one of them is a power forward but let's be real Kawhi and PG are small forwards no matter what position you play them at no matter how tall Paul George is it's just that's not really their game they're not these kind of pick and roll screen setters so I think the real problem with this team is you have all the star talent but none of them are cohesive um, yeah absolutely like it really and sticks out to your, how to much, your point yeah. To your point, he also can't catch uh, one of those pocket passes. <laughs> I, I feel like I can think of just like five instances off the top of my head where Harden's like putting it on the money and like it's just completely off his hands. Yet, And also Zubac is in the seventh percentile of role man this year. Um, keep yeah. cooking, though. Keep cooking. though. Well, You're cooking with gas. <laughs> But I think that the thing that sucks for the Clippers is the Clippers definitely knew this was a problem with their team coming into the season, right? They bring in Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley's not some world-beating center, but Mason Plumley is one of these centers who can roll to the hoop, you know, finish at the rim off a lob. Mason Plumley is one of these centers who's actually pretty good at like catching that little pocket pass and making a quick decision. That's actually one of his strengths as a center. And I think him getting hurt is sneakily one of the worst things that's happened to this team. Because I think, you know, for a casual NBA fan, you think, oh, Mason Plumley's hurt. Big deal. But like Mason Plumley is kind of the thing that this team really needs right now. Um, to shift blame to the actual stars, though, it I don't know if, like, if it's just because I'm watching them play the Mavericks, but, man, Kawhi's processing speed is slow. Yeah, yeah, there's very much like a it is, catch, one, two, I'm pumping, looking for what I'm going to do next. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a slog. There's a... There's a couple possessions that really stuck out to me. And again, like Westbrook, we still have all the same problems with Westbrook where like I think people really don't really realize how much this guy's deteriorated as a scorer. Two Westbrook possessions that just like are going to kill the Clippers all season. Um, Westbrook is on the left wing. Someone's in the corner. Luka looks and sees he's guarding Westbrook. Luka goes across the entire court to double Kawhi, knowing that Westbrook not only is not a good shooter, he also knows Westbrook's not going to cut. And there was space to cut to at least either drag the corner defender over to open up the corner three or to get Westbrook a layup. Westbrook doesn't cut. He's an awful shooter. He's okay in the corners. But, like, teams know, and this is a problem the Lakers had with Westbrook, too, is, like, guys will see that they're guarding Westbrook and be like, I don't actually need to guard Westbrook. And then another Westbrook possession that's just, like, the the sneaky sauce about why Westbrook, to me, has honestly been a pretty sub-starting level player for a couple years now is – there's a possession where he's kind of in a transition opportunity and Luca's guarding him. And Luca's like, well, I'm just going to back 15 feet off you. And Westbrook's like, well, I'm going to drive right at you. And it's like, you know, Luca's one of the strongest players in the NBA, right? Like, you are just going to bounce off him. Westbrook goes, he tries to finish over Luca. He just catches Luca's way stronger, way heavier mass body. The layup barely gets above the rim, it clanks. He's arguing for a foul call, and the Mavericks are halfway down the court in transition. And it's like, I don't know, man. I just Westbrook is just, he's not a good scorer. He's flat yeah. out one of the worst scorers in the NBA. 
It, it's just, I don't know. Like, I know he was an MVP at one point, and he has all these all-stars. He's flat out a very sub-NBA level scorer at this point in his career. Yeah, and he does the, like, almost impossible of making Paul George and Kawhi look a lot worse than they are, too. What what have you thought about the small ball lineups that they've used? H- have you have you noticed? Bad. Yeah, especially <laughs> I mean, yeah. that was the whole thing in, in the. Did you watch any of the Grizzlies game that they lost? I think oh, on Sunday. A little bit, but they've been running a lineup where Paul George is the tallest player in the court for them. Which I don't know, man. Paul George, like Paul George, is I know he's like kind of the quintessential small forward, like. He's not a screen-setting big guy. And Paul George's game is very perimeter-oriented. Yeah, it was it was interesting because I, I think that small ball lineup, they, they played a small ball lineup um, in like the second half of the fourth quarter that closed the game. They, they caught up to the Grizzlies. Harden hit like a huge three with like six minutes left to tie the game. And um, really like the downfall of it was, of course, like they're still like forced to hit some pretty hard shots, take some pretty hard attempts. And when they start missing, they just cannot compete on the boards. It, it sent me back thinking about that. Um, I think it was the 2020 bubble uh, rockets team with like Covington and PJ Tucker and house. And of course, Westbrook and Harden and like, not to mention how much, Harden and Westbrook are different players right now, but like those other guys on the court were such willing, I think, rebounders, scrappers. They really spaced the floor in in a different way that I I just don't think like pivoting. It it seems like Ty Lue in the high leverage moments really wants to pivot to those smaller lineups and like obviously so far it's a limited sample size with very mixed results but i just think when the going gets tough they're not going to have enough rebounding or like stretchiness on their floor for for those to work so like hey you know after i was i was really feeling the uh the westbrook rebound after this playoff series last year but I just, I think I'm now to a point where I don't think it's tenable. I think he has to be, if he's going to work on this team, he has to be a true low minute change of pace point guard, or they need to, they need to get off him. Well, you know, for all the Westbrook slander, I guess, if you will, I just gave you, I will give you a positive Westbrook stat that really did pop out at me because you give were talking about me. three man lineups and I didn't want to go too quick into this, but Westbrook on the court with George and Leonard this season, but no, you know, Batum, Covington, guys they gave to the Sixers, has a 123 offensive rating and an 87 defensive rating. So I know, you know, a lot of that, I don't know how much, you know, minutes Westbrook is logging with just those two guys, Sands, Harden, after the trade, but this season... Even without those guys that are now on the Sixers, the Westbrook-George-Leonard lineups are smoking teams. Now, that defensive rating is absolutely not sustainable, and I do even think that offensive rating comes down. But even if that normalizes to, like, 120, 112, that's still a really good lineup. Um, so I do think the thing with Westbrook is 
it does kind of work the Westbrook show with those two guys. I think it does give a little bit more clarity to everything. I think one problem with this team with Harden is like, I think people, you know, when we look at star combos, we're thinking of like Harden. It's like, wow, this is a match made in heaven. Harden sets up Kawhi, Kawhi shoots it. And like the problem is when you watch this team, they're rigidly adhering to that. It kind of feels like because Kawhi and George do not play make very well. Um, Going back to the small ball lineups you were talking about, though, like Ty Lue actually said in the last couple days that he wants to make sure there's always a five on the court with Harden, which <coughs> I think makes sense um, because this this is, again, the Rockets' problem is Harden plus Westbrook equals fives don't work, but Harden is best with this five on the court. Um, how do you think Harden looks? Just Harden. I, I think Harden looks okay, honestly. Like, uh, I... His usage rate is the lowest it's ever been in his entire career, which, you know, I kind of like for Harden. If I think the best case scenario with with the superstar lineup is him making like really quick decisions. Um, But then again, like every time all four of them are playing, I feel like Westbrook is is the main initiator on a lot of those actions and then like I mean Harden just falls asleep a lot of the a lot of the time which is going to happen either way cuz he's James Harden but um like at least on on the pick and roll I think he's okay his shooting's going to normalize like it hasn't been great I think he's shooting like 28% from 3 right now like it'll get no, better he's back up to the mid 30s yeah um so the one I, thing I, I will say Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I mean, one set I noticed, this happens a lot in Clipper games, and I've noticed they actually run this a lot of plays in a row, is they run that Spain pick and roll with Kawhi and Zubac, where basically both Kawhi and Zubac are going to screen for Harden on the same play. And teams are really just, like, hard hedging it because they know there's no, like, playmaking loss they can take if Kawhi or Zub catches the ball there. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah that, like, double drag action across... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, like, I I do feel like they're a better team than they've shown, and they've had some kind of, like, really tough breaks. Did you see that Marcus Smart play at the end of the game against the Grizzlies? Yeah. Yeah. it was For those of you that didn't see it, it was absolutely insane. I think it's a tie game at this point. The Grizzlies have the ball. Marcus Smart, like, loses it mid dive and he like slaps the ball to David Roddy for like a and one dunk that pretty much just sealed the game like losing on shots they, well, like that that does hurt the Clippers also had a play in this game where Harden like tried to pass it the ball got batted into the air back to Harden and there's like a moment of confusion and Harden's like I guess I'm wide open for three I'm just gonna cash it in and he does <laughs> like I don't know that's a weird game all around yeah it was it was a super weird game um but but geez, I mean that's kind of I, the thing with the NBA right or any sport right like the good teams they don't just beat the bad teams. They blow out the bad teams, right? That's like why point differential tends to be the indicator of how good you are because when you do leave a game up to a small sample size of like three, four possessions, weird things can happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, one thing I want to just say on Harden, something I found really funny. Um, yesterday, Ty Lu quote, I think small ball lineup doesn't fit Harden until he is in better shape. October 11th, Patrick Beverly, quote, Harden is in great shape. All summer we've been hearing about how great of shape Harden has been in. 
Ty Lue saying he's not in great shape. As someone who watched a lot of Sixers last year, he looks a lot like last year. This is not an above-the-rim player anymore. This is a below-the-rim finisher. He's been that for about a season. Ever since he had that injury in Brooklyn, he kind of looks the same. Like, to, honestly, bro, he looks the same to me as, he, like, last year's Harden. I, I agree. They, I, I didn't notice him, like, specifically, like, winded at, at any points in, in the, the last two games that they've played. I, I definitely wouldn't give that as, like, a passable excuse for this four-game disaster. And for, and the other thing too, like I hate to be like he doesn't have that dog in him because I I'm not I'm never been a fan of that type of NBA analysis. But man, one thing you see with like Kyrie every time he's played Harden since Harden's demanded to leave Brooklyn, like Kyrie seems to have like a vendetta for this guy. Like if he got Harden switched onto him, he is going at him. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like Harden, you know, you've all these playoff disasters. Like I kind of want to see you take it to Kyrie. I know you're trying to play in the flow of the offense on your new team, but like. Right? Kyrie's not the strongest defender. Like, that theoretically should be good for the Clippers. Like, I don't know, man. It, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I think most of us would be like, Harden is a way better player than Kyrie Irving. But then you watch a game like that, and you're like, I kind of would rather have the guy who's like, no, I'm, I want to show up this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I think at this point, it's a little hard for Harden to go at another superstar in that way because the dude just like doesn't play with with pace or like at all in in any like sense of the word even if he's not playing with pace his idea of going at someone is like you know 10 um tween dribbles and then like a step back three which is just like an offense killer and I can see why it's like kind of a tough sell for Harden to have that cachet to do that right now. But um, I definitely did notice Kyrie busting his ass in Dallas. That second quarter was just a, like an absolute travesty if you're a Clipper fan. Yeah. Um, so I guess final thing on the Clippers, where do you kind of wh where do you think the future of this team is? You know, at, at this point in, in the West, it's just so hard to drop out of completely out of that play in mix. Like I, we're about to talk about the Pelicans. I, I think they're a better team than the Pelicans. I do. And I, I know they're a better team than the Trailblazers. I think they're a better team than the Spurs and the Jazz. I, I think they'll probably be a better team than the Grizzlies. Um, it's like, uh, we've talked a little bit about the Grizzlies start. So like, no matter how you cut it, they're going to stay in that play in mix. And I think that's probably where they're going to be throughout the season. They, they, at the end of the day, they still have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And if they can figure it out enough on offense, that's still a team. I'm not like super jazzed to play in the playoffs. How are you feeling? I think the ceiling regular season for this team is like six, seven seed. Oh yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. I think things would have to go yeah, really I, well. Yeah, no, I'm, but I mean, that's I think that's the ceiling, right? Like, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like the Clippers. One thing, like, it's been like it's since 2020 when they brought Kawhi and George together. Like, connective passing has been the thing this team has needed, right? Like, that's what they have really they they needed, like Mike Conley. The Timberwolves mm -hmm. snatched him up. Like, 
They bring in Westbrook. Now they have Harden. Like, I feel like this team is really, like, just doesn't really have an understanding of, like, what the problems with their own team are. Yeah, yeah. And I also feel like in the playoffs, it's an easier sell to be like, hey, Kawhi, like, we need you, like, really screening for Harden, Westbrook, and Paul George. Like, we haven't, we didn't talk about it at all. Paul George has been an awesome pick and roll player throughout the entire season this year. Like, if you can get those guys in the bigger moments to really buy into doing the little things, it becomes a little bit more realistic to me that they could have some success in the playoffs. But then you get into all the other Clippers stuff of like, are these guys going to be healthy? Who's going to fill in the gaps? Um, I think there's a trade there for them somewhere. I, I think Norman Powell is super repetitive for for this roster. He's he's an awesome player, but seems like the kind of guy that could really make somebody else's day and not really like lose too much if you're the Clippers, if you're uh, moving off of him. Uh, do you have any idea? Like what? What what kind of player would you be looking for if you're the Clippers? Just just another big or or something more specific? I mean, Plumlee's supposed to come back at some point. So I think on the bigs, like your rotation is what it is. I, I, I don't know. Like I hate to say it because like Westbrook, again, he's been pretty good with the other two stars. I think Westbrook did kind of find a home here despite, you know, my gripes with how he affects their half-court offense and everything but they've kind of laid the bed with Harden right and they're not gonna be able to move off of Harden ultimately I don't think this team works with the construction of all four of them I think it only works with the construction of the three of them and I don't know man I think I wouldn't be surprised if Westbrook gets shipped I wouldn't either I wouldn't either I think that's especially money-wise that's by far the easiest contract that you're going to be able to trade and I do think Westbrook has rehabbed his like reputation a little bit. We weirdly we're talking about how there's such a disaster. I like you compare it to how we were all looking at Westbrook last year, and it was like, oh, I'm gonna need two unprotected Lakers first round picks in 2075 if I'm gonna take on one year of Westbrook. And it's definitely not that situation now. No, so this is, um, this is like. He has been so much better on the Clippers because I think with like with the Clippers, like his rim pressuring ability has been so big for them this year and last year because like, you know, George and Leonard, they really do like to kind of cook and get into that mid range. They like to kind of cook and get into that pull up three like this team did need someone like Westbrook, who even if he's not an efficient rim finisher, who's just like you need to pay attention to the rim. The problem was on the Lakers. It's like we already have LeBron and AD doing that. And if you're not doing the other things, you're really hurting this team. But with the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel bad for Westbrook because I do feel like he's going to become the scapegoat in what I think is more of a hardened slash organizational issue. But yeah, yeah I, I don't I think know. That's the Clippers. His rebounding is also really, um, really important for the Clippers. They they don't have any dogs on the boards, really. Even Zubach is oh, like no, yeah. an okay rebounder. He's averaging like seven rebounds a game, I, I think. If they could get a center that's averaging more like 10 rebounds a game, that would be a, a huge swing for them. Um, but are are you ready to uh, talk about, stop talking about the 11th place team in the West and switch it up to the 10th place team in the West? 
Yeah, let's talk some Pelicans. So after watching a lot of Pelicans, I'm I'm definitely more optimistic about this team. Let me kind of set the table. So this team right now is missing Trey Murphy, who's one of their best players. Jose Alvarado, one of their guards. CJ McCollum, one of their other guards. And now they are missing Larry Nance, although he did play in a lot of the games I watched while doing research. Zion Williamson said, quote, I'm taking a little bit of a backseat right now. I'm trusting the process. I'm trying my best to buy in. So Zion seems super frustrated. This is on the heels of Coach Willie Green calling him and Brandon Ingram the best duo in the NBA. Um, I don't know if, if spoiler or shocker is the right word, but the two of them, any two-man lineup that has the two of them has been pretty bad this season. Um, so, Zion, you know, you see those quotes, you know, you see that's coming off in a game where he has 11 field goal attempts, and you're like, what is going on in New Orleans? Why is Zion not getting the ball? Well, that's not really the case. Zion has actually had a career-high 31% usage rate, so 31% of Pelicans' attempts on the court, and with him shooting it or turning it over. Um, the real issue with Zion, 25% of his possessions, this is second in the entire NBA in ISO frequency. He is the second most in the NBA, only behind Luka Doncic. He's ISOing at a higher rate um, than the rest of the league. 20% of his possessions are post-ups. Post-ups, Patrick, I don't know if you feel the same way are effectively isolations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So 45, let's say 50% of this guy's possessions are isolations. So he's really just being used as a Zion, go get us a bucket. The problem is Zion is not that efficient as an isolation scorer this year. He's down all across the board shooting-wise. Um, something that's really interesting, Patrick, last season 75% of his shots were at the rim. This year, 62%. Because they're really just saying, hey, get the ball 18 feet from the hoop make something happen. Um, he's only shooting 52% on two-point shots, and he's only taken one three-pointer the whole season. Um, also, I don't. this is unrelated, but I just have to say it. Luka Doncic, Patrick, is scoring 1.3 points per possession on isolations. That is just absolutely and, filthy. And he's doing it more than anybody. Well, we're actually going to see those <laughs> these two teams play tonight in the in-season tournament, uh, Mavs-Pelicans. So it's, it's kind of connected. But yeah, James, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head here. At the end of the day, it's super simple. You've got two guys on your team that have a over 30% usage rate, and they don't make each other better at all. Zion has one assist passing it to Brandon Ingram this season, and Brandon Ingram has five assists to Zion this season. These guys, they play in the same area. They don't elevate each other's games whatsoever. Um, I, I, I think there's. Can I? Can I go? Can I? Can I go through a possession that I really just I didn't understand? I would love you to. So, this is at the. I, I don't. I'm not going to go through the whole sequence. Well, you know what? I'm going to go through the whole sequence because this is really illustrative of what you are talking about. The Pelicans are up three with two minutes left versus the Rockets. First possession. Lazy attempt to get Zion the ball at the elbow. The other team almost steals it. They actually foul the Pelicans. The next play um, is a broken play. Zion ends up getting the ball. He notices that there's a wall in the paint, so Zion correctly passes out. The problem is, and this is where Zion's inexperience is really showing, he passes out one dribble too early. So it actually gets stolen because he's not really leveraging his position on the court. This is one of those things you see a lot of young players do. They don't take that extra dribble, that one extra dribble, to really suck the defense in a little bit more. Um, so it's a turnover. Next play, lazy attempt to get Ingram the ball, turnover. Final play, they finally get a real action. They run an Ingram, Larry Nance pick and roll with Zion sitting on the baseline. And my question is, why are Larry Nance and Zion on the court at the same time? 
in a do or die situation. And why is Zion not involved in the action? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason you put Larry Nance on there is because you're a little bit worried about your rim protection on the other side because obviously Zion's not doing much to help you out there. But yeah, I mean, it, it all goes down to their injuries. Like, I think the group of guys that they have injured right now are pretty much like, if you could pick like the five worst guys to all be injured at the same time, these guys would all make the list. Not having CJ, not having Jose Alvarado, not having Trey Murphy. That's like all of your spacing is just completely gone. So, of course, they're not making it easy. But also the guards that they have on this roster that are playing, Dyson Daniels and um, Jordan Hawkins in, in particular, these guys are not point guards. Like, the these guys cannot get, get the offense going. And it just makes it even easier to defend. This is another team just like the Clippers. Honestly, I think these two teams, as currently constructed, constructed not including the players that are uh, injured on the Pelicans, they kind of have the same like problems as as the Clippers. They they just don't have cohesion. The Pelicans are 27th in the league in assists. Um, the, there's no cohesion on the defensive side. It, it's another bottom 10 defensive rating team. Um, yet yeah, how are you feeling on like this Pelicans core? Like we are pretty much almost two, uh, uh, one year removed from Zion doing windmill dunks to close out the Suns and and be the number one team I, in the I, West. Do you feel differently about this core of this Pelicans roster than you did a year ago? Patrick, I've never liked this Pelicans core. Okay. And the reason I've never liked this Pelicans core is because I don't I don't really see the team that Brandon Ingram can be a top two guy on that wins a championship. Like the thing with Brandon Ingram, and you see, you saw this. I feel like his year with LeBron really highlighted his faults as a player. Is when he's not getting to be that lead pick and roll ball handler, he's not doing a lot for your team. Mm -hmm. He's really not doing much out there for your team if he's not getting to be that lead pick and roll ball handler. And you're seeing it with this Pelicans team where they're like Zion isolation. Brandon Ingram pick and roll on the other side of the court. And it's like you're talking about that lack of cohesion. Why is Zion not screening for Brandon Ingram? Yeah. It makes no sense that they're not leveraging their two most talented players, you know, abilities, you know, to create offense. But I don't think Brandon Ingram is a is a bad player per se, but I just don't think he is the type of player that you can really build a championship contender around because the way he's wired and he's improved so much as an off the ball three point shooter, like he really has made a lot of strides in his game. He's become one of these really deadly scorers. He's a really nice isolation scorer. Like he is by no means a bad player, but I think just the way he tends to play and because he is so skinny still, right. He's not a very threatening cutter. Um, he's, you know, he's, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't yeah. know. It's just not, he has that like Katie length, but on the defensive end, it, it doesn't show up at all in like rim protection in the way that like we've seen KD like grow into over the course of his career that, and like, not having that extra defensive value as well to not fitting with Zion is like such a killer for their roster construction. 
Yeah, because I mean, effectively, like obviously, when everyone's healthy, this is your small forward and your power forward, right? These are your wings. We talk so much about the Timberwolves, like they've got McDaniel's, they've got, you know, Anthony Edwards. It's like their two wings are just locking guys down. The Pelicans, it's like, I don't know, like you're just not getting a lot. Although I will say, shout out to Zion. He had a really nice chase down block in the closing minutes of that Rockets game. He did. Um, he, he did. That was sick. There, I mean, he's. It was sick. I will say uh, the thing with Zion, I think I, I get his frustration. Is like, hey man. I might be playing pretty below my standards, you know, that I've set the first three years. At least I'm playing, you know, finally. Mm -hmm. I'm playing games. And I think this is part of that, too, is I, he's got to get used to kind of the doldrums of what it's like to be an NBA player. Like, teams go through, you know, go through a lot of, you know, losses, especially when there's a lot of injuries. Because the thing about the Zion era is, like, they were really good when he played last year. He's actually, if you go through like kind of the game log, other than his rookie year, they've kind of been pretty successful with Zion on the court. This is really the first time in his career, even though he hasn't played that much, where they're like kind of taking these weird losses night after night. Let's talk about that a little bit. So cleaning the glass on Zion's first three years that he's played, they've had him adding 18 wins, 18 wins, and 19 wins. This year, they have him... He's a negative five win player for the Pelicans. Do you feel like that's an aberration? Do you feel like that's showing itself on the court? What do you think when it, when I tell you that? I don't think it's an aberration because he's lost so much efficiency. Mm -hmm. And a big part of losing that efficiency is because 45% of his possessions are post-ups or isolations, right? They're not doing a good job of, like, getting involved as a roller. They're not doing a good job getting involved as a cutter. He's really cut down on his three-point attempts. I know he's not a good three-point shooter. We don't really want Zion shooting threes, but it's also one of those things where it's like, you cannot be in the Ben Simmons dunker spot if you're Zion Williamson. You are a much more powerful downhill threat. Uh, Patrick, he's shooting... They're scoring... 0.56 points per possession on those Zion post-ups. That's 20% of his offense is incredibly inefficient play where he's just not creating good offense out of the post. And, like, I think the problem is you watch Zion is he gets the ball 18 feet from the hoop. Man, he has these, like, rip-through face-up moves where he is just blowing by good defenders, right? <laughs> Crazy sequence. One minute, 50 seconds into that Rockets game, he drew three fouls on Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks had no answer for Zion's athleticism, which is crazy because it's diminished. He's just still that much of a beast. The problem is, like, yeah, they're just not using him creatively. So I, I really do get his frustration. I do think this is more of like a Pelicans thing than a Zion thing, even with his diminished efficiency, because like they're just not doing him any favors. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and, like, the efficiency drop is, like, pretty shocking pretty much 10 percentage points all the way across the board from field goal percentage from effective field goal percentage to free throw percentage um but i feel like and what i'm happy about is it's not or at least the eye test tells me it's not a loss of athleticism or or burst i think for the most part, he's still got that. Of course, there has been a little bit of a downgrade when you're talking about like Duke Zion, you know, blocking three pointers left and right. But um, I, I think uh, I, I, I'm with you in I, I think this is more noise, early season noise of stats than like a real thing. And once they get that spacing that we've talked about so much back in the fold, that they'll, they'll be. Uh, in, in better shape. So um, 
So I, I'm going to ask you the same question that you asked me about the Clippers. After kind of looking into them, we are, we're what, 10 games in. How do you feel about the Pelicans' playoff chances? What's their ceiling? What's their floor? What do you think is realistic? They could definitely miss the playoffs if injuries continue to mount. Mm-hmm. I do think this team has a higher ceiling than the Clippers, though. Okay. I do think I do think with Zion, and there, here's a sneaky thing about Zion efficiency that obviously existed before, so this isn't like the sole reason, but there's like no one better in the NBA right now, maybe other than Jokic, who's just like, I'm just going to get a shot up at the rim, and if I miss, I'm going to get my own rebound. Like He's still doing that quite a bit where he'll miss like two shots and just get the offensive rebound because the second jump is so fast. Those plays are worth the same amount as a play if he just made it on the first shot, but it does drag down his efficiency. I mean, I I think with Zion, the reason I'm talking about Zion's efficiency is because that is the driving factor about how far this team's going to go. I think this team could top out as a five seed. Yeah. If they get yeah. healthy. Uh, everything would have to go right. And I mean, they they would have to jump quite a quite a few teams, some of which like coming into the season we were super high on, and then some of which that um maybe we weren't as high on but now they're looking kind of like world beaters in the regular season um i i'm viewing this more as a play-in team i think they have a lot of upside once you get into the actual playoffs but um i i i think they have for me they have a little bit less upside than than the clippers do and but that could be easily changed if they get a little bit more reliable guard play. Like, I I think even with a CJ McCollum, like, I would just love, like, a steady, a Tyus Jones or a TJ McConnell, if they could dip into that Bucks draft assets that they have and, and cash it in on somebody that just makes it easier all around the all around the board for their two guys like i'm not even talking about uh, we've talked so much about how brandon ingram and zion don't fit perfectly but i think if you just have a guy that's a little bit better of a table setter that would make a, a world of difference for this pelicans team and like really boost them up to a team that i i think could win one two playoff series Wow, two would be crazy. But I guess, Patrick, because we talked about this a little over text, but I'm curious because you said you think there's a little too much point Zion. I I actually am going to go the other way. I think they need a little bit more point Zion. I just feel like he's not like he doesn't have that that passing like like you illustrated it at the end of that Rockets game. I think like he can make some simple reads. Um, obviously, he he can kick out well, but like I just. I don't see him making anybody's life easier when he has the ball other than himself on offense. Uh, yeah, I think the thing is, because I was kind of going through the data just to see, like, is it has it been bad? He's actually basically tied with Shea and Ant in terms of pick and roll efficiency as the ball handler. They're scoring at the, he's scoring at the same rate as those two guys, um, their, their team is. And I think, like, the thing that's fun about it is, like, <laughs> they're getting an and one on, like, 10% of possessions where Zion is a pick and roll ball handler. They're drawing fouls on a lot of these possessions. I think there's like kind of one of those, like maybe the efficiency is only like 104 points per possession, but that's, that's honestly better than where he's at as an isolation player right now. But it is one of those things where 
if you're drawing a lot of fouls, you're setting up a lot of, you know, putback opportunities for Valanciunas because Zion draws so much attention when he's going downhill like that, I do think there might be some residual benefits to that level of playing. It's kind of like in the NFL. You run the ball, even if the efficiency is not always there, because over the course of a game, getting that, like, 35 carries, you know, can have residual benefits. I don't know. I think that's something that I'd probably have to revisit last year's Pelicans to see a little bit more of Point Zion to see, like, if that's the case. But I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that getting Zion involved in actual actions will have oh, residual benefits. I, I'm not saying I don't want him involved in the action. I would just much rather have him involved as the roller because that means you're sending like maybe the most dangerous offensive rebounding weapon in the league down into the block every single time opposed to like, you know, sometimes he's like driving, sometimes he, he's passing out and he's not going down in the, in the muck. I would just rather have somebody else making those decisions and the make it just super, super simple for Zion. It's like, we're either going to, most of the time we're going to get the ball to you and we're going to have you going at the rim with motion. It's going to be much easier for you to score or we're kicking it out to a Jose Alvarado. We're kicking it out to a Trey Murphy. And if they miss, guess what? You're down there. And hopefully Jonas Valachunas and his man aren't like making it too terribly difficult for you once you're down there. But um, that... I, there is definitely like a portion of the offense that belongs in Zion's hand as the like ball handler in those pick and roll situations. I just would rather you hold that for like special case scenarios um, where like he's finding like really good mismatches. Maybe like you've got your guards setting screens for him and you can get that switch. But that, that's just kind of where I'm standing with, like, the point Zion at the moment. Mm, I feel you. All right. Well, those have been the Clippers and the Pelicans. Um, two two, two not-so-fun teams, I'll be honest, at the moment. Zion has definitely lost quite a bit of athleticism. He's still one of the best athletes in the NBA. But, man, it's it, you can just see it's not quite there. But hopefully these teams turn it around, both entertainment and record-wise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think uh, they could. They could. We'll see. If not, you know, I would love to see just like an absolute implosion midseason. That that's always some great uh, theater. Um, Patrick, one quick thing before we get to best take, worst take. I, I don't know how you feel about this, but there's been a lot of hubbubaloo, and rightly so, for the NBA giving out texts when players just throw down a meme poster and stare down the, the defender. It's kind of like the natural thing to do when you're on the basketball court. I don't have a lot of experience postering people. I've played a, quite a bit of mini hoop, though. Um, I, I got to say, though, you know, I think it is really dumb. We need to get rid of that tech. It's really dumb. But I got to say, Z or Giannis the other day had oh. like a spin dunk where he just – it honestly might have been the dunk – like one of the dunks of the year. It's But he just, you know, walks down the court nonchalantly like nothing happened in, an, in its own way. Kind of badass. Like – yeah, I'm Giannis. This is what I do. I just throw guys into the basket. I dunk on their face, and I do it so often, I don't even need to look at them. Absolutely. Um, I'm so with you on this, man. It is, it is absolutely ridiculous. I think just in, like, a general sense, any, like, highlights or, or plays where there's, like, a foul, if that play that resulted in the foul ends up in, like, a huge viral video, I think... At the end of the day, the foul should be rescinded because it 
That's the kind of stuff that the NBA needs. The NBA needs huge poster dunks that we don't stop the entire game to review for a charge and a a replay review. We need guys to have like a little FU in them, just like Giannis showed. And like, it, it's really like, I I feel like I'm like turning into a boomer right now, but like, that's like the best that's the best stuff that, like, when kids watch, they love that. When I watch, I love it. No matter who is voting on this, everybody loves to see a guy get up in somebody's face after they just posterize them. And to add on to it, I hate the swinging on the rim stuff, the, like, immediate text. Have you seen that? I hate those. It, they, a lot been- of times players are doing that to brace their fall, too. Exactly. Exactly. They're calling it more this season than I feel like I've ever seen before as well. Yeah, I don't you know, it's it's so tough cuz you know, a lot of the times I think NBA fans we get really caught up into the like the he said she said, but it's it's so different on the court, right? Like Ant and Draymond Green had a huge spouting in Dray- including Draymond being like, "What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it?" And then like three possessions later he's helping him up and one of them fell. So it's like these guys, you know, this is kind of what a lot of these guys do. They get in each other's faces, but they don't take it personally, right? This is – they all understand it, and it's weird that these refs who are refing these games in and out every day don't seem to understand that. Well, and it's like we're begging these players to take the regular season more seriously. Like we put in this whole in-season tournament to give more value, to try to get a higher level of play, and then when these guys are getting really, really into it, we're like, whoa, 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 chill out. Like, you got to calm down. You're taking it too seriously right now. Like, what are we doing? I don't know. Should we get to best take, worst take? Let, um, I, I wanted to ask you, have you looked at the uh, in-season tournament slate for today? I was going to j- just ask you what uh, what you're looking most forward to. I can read out some of the games to you. Uh, I just have a sneaking suspicion that Nuggets will find a way to lose after we land blasted the Clippers. So there's Clippers Nuggets. I'm not going to watch that one. Um, Patrick, I am kind of all in on the Sixers. You know, they just they just kind of gave the smackdown to the Pacers a couple of days ago. They've got the rematch in Indy here. Kind of want to see, you know, is is the can the Sixers keep the streak up? Yes, I, I'm very excited for that one. Honestly, I think the game I'm most excited for today is the rematch of Timberwolves Warriors after that was like such a highly competitive, like kind of chippy game. Um, just like under a week ago. And then, I mean, come on. We got Wembenyama versus Chet. The future bird magic. It's here for the first time in a regular season NBA game. Of course, I'm kidding. But we've got a great slate of games for tonight. I'm super excited. We do. We do. Yeah, I mean, Thunder 0-2 in the playing tournament. Kind of weird. Not expected. Um, But... I think they'll bounce back. The Spurs have been pretty bad after some early season Wimbanyama amazingness. Oh, sneaky stat, because he's only getting one a game when I was looking at those isolation stats. Wimbanyama sneakily is like one of the – it's such a small sample size. He's only getting like 1.1 isolations a game, but like he's scoring really efficiently on them. I don't know. Spurs. Something I know this. it looks ugly. I know Wemby dribbling in isolation has looked really bad, but stats say it's been pretty good. So let's, 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 let's let Wemby do stuff. Yeah, yeah, I am all all in on team. Let's let Wemby do things. <laughs> um, all right, 
Uh, so this isn't a take. This is the best take, worst take. <laughs> Patrick and I, every Tuesday, we go through the best NBA and the worst NBA takes of the week. We, we choose whose worst take decision was the worst of the week. And at the end of the month, we decide who the worst take of the month. At the end of the season, we crown the worst take of the season. Now, Patrick, this isn't a take, but this was my best take for most of the week because I was like, I guess this is kind of a take. And I, I feel like I, I, I've tried to make it a personal challenge of myself to, to give the worst take makers a best take at least once. Okay. So okay. I've got maybe the king of the worst take, Kendrick Perkins. Our guy. This isn't actually my best take, but this is what I had written down for most of the week. Uh, he whipped a chair with a belt and said, this is what Luca does to the Clippers. It's not really a take. I mean, it's just kind of a fact. But the reason I just, I just wanted to give a shout out to Kendrick Perkins for trying to make the ESPN show somewhat fun. Yeah, hey, hey, I am something. all for committing to the bit. That's that's what comedy is all about right there. And he nailed it. I like, watched that live. It's it was very more, shocking. It's a, yeah, exactly. It's it's it was a little forced compared to, you know, you know, Chuck and Shaq and Kenny, but ESPN needs that. Like the ESPN NBA show needs that. They need that <laughs> well i thought what made it not work is like the rest of the studio was just like so taken back by it like brian windhorst looked like he wanted to like suck into his suit like a turtle into a shell that it was it was very uncomfortable watching everyone else react to it but like yeah i mean i'm really glad that you're giving uh kendrick perkins his flowers because that was truly unhinged and we love some unhinged kendrick perkins on this show especially on on tuesdays um all right patrick my best take it's not really even a take but i just i just gotta i gotta give it a shout out again so what is the the stupid unwritten rule in pro sports you're not allowed to run up the score uh uh-huh, yes you know dennis schroeder had an issue with the celtics running up the score against the raptors a couple weeks ago or not a couple weeks ago, literally this past week. Um, what is one of the tiebreakers for the in-season tournament, Patrick? It is point differential. My best take, even though it's not much of a take. Joel Embiid, after they defeated the Pistons in the play-in game, quote, people tried to fight me because they don't know the rules. He's 100% right. Most NBA players don't know the rules of the in-season tournament. Point differential is the tiebreaker. Um for this tournament. So NBA teams are incentivized to run up the score in these games. I feel like it's going to take players maybe like a couple seasons before the guys truly get that like this isn't disrespect. This is the rules. A soccer fan like Joel Embiid would know the rules better than anybody. Yeah. Hey, hey, don't don't take out your starters. What are you doing, Monty Williams? If your guys are getting <laughs> upset, maybe get them a little bit more ready for the game. What is your best take, Patrick? My best take of the week is going to another uh, ESPN favorite of ours, Stephen A. Smith. And he said that Kobe Bryant isn't the best Laker of all time. Now, I know we got a bunch of Kobe fans. I'm this like idiot Suns fan saying Kobe isn't the best Laker of all time. And I will give you that Kobe Bryant would be the franchise goat for 99% of franchises in like literally pro sports. But I want to take this moment just to highlight the absolute greatness of Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is my number five all-time best player. This guy, like both of these guys, 
Championships, it's a wash. These two guys are both some of the greatest offensive engines of all time. Kobe from a pure scoring aspect. Magic, maybe the best initiator of all time. One of the best transition players of all time. But you know what? Magic was just like, he was just better for the Lakers. Like, this is the guy that broke the whole Celtics uh, championship curse that they had. James, do you know how many times the Celtics beat the Lakers in the championship before Magic was able to lead the Lakers over over them? I'm going to go 11. Um, that is close. That is the number of championships that Bill Russell had. It was actually only eight. They lost eight times to their greatest rival before Magic Johnson was able to raise the Lakers over. We're always giving LeBron so much shine for the amount of times that he made the finals. Magic made the finals nine times, and he was only healthy 12 years, really. There was like one little stint in in 96 where, where he came back after the HIV scare, but this dude led the Lakers to the finals nine times, and like, let's be honest, they were playing a lot higher level of like teams. The, the Kobe Shaq teams were playing against like the Jason Kidd led Nets and like the old Reggie Miller Pacers of like the late 90s, early 2000s and the, the AI Sixers, which like AI, you're awesome. Like that's super cool that you dragged that Sixers team to the finals. But Magic's playing against the prime bird Celtics, the prime Dr. J Sixers, the bad boy Pistons. They played the... They they lost, but they played the Bulls in the finals. Like, I just would really wanted to take the opportunity to say, Lakers fans, like, you guys have had such a charmed existence over your time. Like, Patrick, I, 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 I got to go counter with you on this. Hey, come at me. I know a lot of people. And my biggest bullet in my gun, though, that I will say is, like, Obviously, Kobe had a lot of lean years in between the Shaq-Pow era. They did not have very much playoff success. And then, of course, after the, like, Pow renaissance. But the biggest, like, gripe I have with Kobe and not being the greatest Laker of all time is him and Shaq, like... Their personalities, they couldn't get along well enough to just keep a good thing going. <laughs> Patrick, let me tell you why Kobe actually is the Lakers GOAT and not Magic. Even if you do think Magic is the better basketball player, you can you can think Magic is the better basketball player. And this is why Kobe is actually the Lakers GOAT. What did Magic do after he came back to the Lakers? He submarined a season where they were trying to be good. This is not like when Kobe came back after the Achilles and he was helping them tank. Magic, like, submarined a good Lakers team in the mid-90s. He tried to be the Lakers coach at one point. It was an absolute disaster. Magic tried to be the Lakers president, GM at one point. It was a horrible disaster where he flamed out his relationship with LeBron James. I don't know, man. I think Magic has done so much bad after his prime starlet Laker years that to hurt the franchise, whereas oh. Kobe has never... I don't know, man. I, I Okay, I, what about Kobe taking a like go. gigantic contract after his Achilles was always shot? All Tank I'm commander. saying Tank Commander. 
if, if we the are tank, taking it got them Anthony Davis. If we are taking their executive resumes and putting it into their basketball resumes, I'm going to have to rethink MJ being so high on my all-time list. Fair, fair. But but the, but I think if if you for the Lakers goat, right? It's everything you've done for the franchise. Magic okay. has done a lot of harm to the franchise after like 93. Okay, a lot you, more harm than good. Kobe didn't have the opportunity, okay? I, I Kobe did not have the opportunity. <laughs> I, I think Kobe, I, I I don't know. I feel like Kobe would have been a decent GM, but we'll move on to our worst take. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, my worst take is also Lakers related. Can you tell we're from LA? Uh, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne. <laughs> Lil Wayne said, quote, if the Lakers want to be a championship team, they have to get rid of Anthony Davis. Oh, Wheezy, <laughs> what? I just I don't know. I don't I don't even want to expand on that. <laughs> I mean, uh just an un unhinged take from Wheezy right there. <laughs> like, what are you getting? What are what are you getting that's better? Huh? Well, there's been that like Bill Simmons like Embiid for Davis trade, uh, guys. I know Davis is all that. Me and Patrick are very, very pro Anthony Davis. We're probably much higher on him than most people. Love Anthony Davis, guys. Joel Embiid is. I don't think again. I hate to glaze. We're we're kind of being getting known as the glazing podcast, Patrick. You know, Joel Embiid is like the number one rim protector in the NBA right now on volume. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he like, is. Uh... He is everything that you would He's want that, from Anthony Davis. He is that fucking guy every night. <laughs> yeah, but better. Yeah, that's that's a crazy take. Um, and and I will say, Lil Wayne, if you want a chance to defend yourself, we are open to having you on the podcast. I just want to put that out there. We're, we'll come to you. Just let us know. Um, my worst take of the week goes to a company that we've already um, lambasted on this podcast. Um, it's Bally Sports because Bally Sports Southwest executives decided this week to take down the viral video of NBA analyst Brian Damaris calling out James Harden pregame of the Mavs Clippers game um, this past weekend. Did you see that absolute epic rant of course. he We've had all seen it. if We've you all haven't seen it. like i don't even know that i can like do it justice but a couple of points he hits on is he says he <laughs> he would do anything to have someone believe in him in the way daryl Morey believed in james harden <laughs> he he wish he said and he finished it by saying james you're not the beard you're not the system you're the problem. And you know what? That is everything that is good with NBA media, okay? And the fact that Valley Sports would take that down just makes me sick. Well, that's why they're going under, Patrick. Exactly. Exactly. All right. I feel so, like we've got two is, great contenders this week. We do have two great contenders. Um. um it's like it's like overly bad PC culture versus an objectively awful take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know what? I will. Uh, I'll I'll give it to you this week, my man. Kind of because I just want to give Lil Wayne another chance to come on the podcast, <laughs> especially uh, 
if uh, he wins the month, uh, then he'll just get another chance. You know, maybe we could foster a relationship (sighs) with Lil Wayne the way Skip Bayless has. You know, Patrick, I forgot what the take was last week, but I I remember whatever you brought in last. This is great podcasting. Whatever you brought in last week, Patrick, was I remember an all-timer. Oh, yeah. What did I But this Lil Wayne one is really bad. I think this would have won last month. Well, I don't know. Last month. No, this this would have beaten last month. Dude, dude, did you see that? The um, takes are getting a lot worse now that the season's here. Did you see that Lou Williams said that in the bubble, the Clippers heard that nobody was going to take it seriously, so they just stopped, stopped caring? That's the most loser bullshit I've ever heard in my life. There's no fucking... And, Patrick, it's the, and, and guess who the same leaders of that team were that are on this year's Clippers team? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They they don't have the the lead dog of Doc Rivers. Like it, it really was the the perfect like curse team. I, I need I need the Clippers and Sixers to play so Patrick Beverly can give us his true thoughts oh my on God. the Clippers. Oh, there's gonna be some antics. That is that is a good one. I hope Doc Rivers is calling that game. That would that would be yes, incredible. <laughs> All right, dude. Do you got anything else? We'll catch you. No, just a uh, mailbag, guys. I'm going to put up an Instagram thing this week. Give us your guys' mailbag questions on uh, the Jidel Instagram. I'll also put it on the Foul Trouble Instagram, and uh, we'll get your questions answered, and uh, let's have a fun time on Friday. Have a great week, everyone. Let's go. Peace.